There is no sweeter truth in the whole Bible than the truth of justification by faith, salvation by faith through God's grace alone, through Christ alone. Am I right about that? What a sweet and wonderful truth. We've been singing about it all day, and we will sing about it for the rest of our lives, and we will sing about it throughout eternity, and we will never get tired of it. Am I right about that? If you understand it, that's how you feel about it. If you don't, then what we want to do today is we want to take the truth of God's Word and, like I said, blow it like across the coals of your heart until your heart leaps into eternal flame. Another way of looking at studying the truth of justification by faith over and over again because you need it to be saved and have eternal life and because you need it to grow in the Lord and because you need it because you are a missionary. Every one of you wants to be skilled in gospel conversation. Another way of saying it would be like this. When you teach a truth like justification by faith over and over again, like we've been doing here this spring, it's almost like snow on the mountain. It's like all winter long, this snow has been piling, piling up on the mountain. And it's frozen up there. It's just frozen snow piled up on the mountain. But then the warmth begins to beat on the snow in the spring. And then it's going to begin to melt. melt, And then that water is going to begin to flow down through the valleys of our life. And if you've ever seen this up close and personal, like out west and the Rockies, it's such an amazing thing. You realize that the snow that was on the mountain, or like the truth that's stored up in our heart, over the years as we study it and as we sing about it, it melts into our life and it produces growing beautiful things. I'm talking about neighbors who are going to get saved. Can you imagine if one of your neighbors got saved this year and on Sunday morning when you get up to go to church, they get up to go to church. Would that be awesome? Would that be awesome that you walk down your block and that guy that you've been praying for by name because you've been loving on him and barbecuing with him and giving him gifts and know his kids' names and pray for things that make him sad? What if his, he and his wife got saved? And what if they even came here? What if they got baptized in that baptistry? Now, that would be pretty exciting. Can anybody here tell me something more exciting than that? Nobody would ever be able to convince me there's a baseball game in the, in the history of the world more exciting than if somebody be, came to eternal relationship with Jesus Christ and I got to be involved in that. Whole lives and generations can be changed that way. Now that's stuff that's worth getting excited about. There is no sweeter truth in the Bible than that. When you're justified by faith, Romans chapter 5 says, there are six amazing things that happen to you when you're justified by faith. Here, are, here they are. You can follow on you version if you're sharp. Here they are. I'm going to show you one of these days. I'm calling this message Living in Amity. It's going to make sense to you in a minute. First, we have peace with God. Let's take a look at the text. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us, who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, and yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I ain't going to read that again because you sounded like you were asleep when I read that. 
sound like Mormons when I read that, so I'm going to read it again, all right? We're going to see if you sound somewhat Baptistic when you're done. I'll just chastise you into praise here. Yeah, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. That's exciting. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Reconciled by his death, saved by his life. Verse 11, not only that, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Am I in a good text today or what? That's amazing right there. So here are the six things in the text that happen when you're justified by faith. And if you're kind of a dumb rock, I'll just really make this really clear to you. This is why you ought to be justified by faith. Okay, that's just... Sorry about the dumb part. Yeah, if you're a little slow on the uptake, or if you, you know, you, you, sl- you stayed up too late last night, or, or, you're, or the devil's in your ear right now, and he's talking to you about what you're having for dinner. I just want to help you. These six things. If you hear these six things and don't get saved, you seriously are spiritually blind. It's scary. Second, you're already saved. It's standing with these things and remind yourself that makes your life flourish and it aids the process of sanctification, growing in the Lord. But third, and again, the, the application here never changes in, this, in these spring series. And third, and that is this. We want to raise up an army, 600 members of evangel that live up to the name evangel that are good at gospel conversation. So it's not just like you're sitting there with a little card going, hey, he did four today. I think it was okay. You know, it wasn't his best effort, but it was okay. I don't give a, I don't care at all. I was going to say I don't give a flying rat's fanny. Now you know. I don't give a flying rat's fanny whether or not you think my message was good. It doesn't even matter at all. I mean, I care, but I'm not supposed to care. What really matters is, are you going to take this and do something about it? Are you going to take this and tell somebody who's going to hell? I'm telling you, in our area where we live, there are people everywhere you look, and in your life, everywhere you look, people who aren't just hurting a little bit, but they're desperate for God. And they need somebody that will love them, somebody that will pray for them, somebody that will say, you can go to hell if you want to, but you got to crawl over me to get there. Because I'm going to explain to you how God loved you. And people are clueless about this. I'm talking with a friend in the coffee shop this week. He comes over, and we're making pleasant conversation, and we get on the subject of him smoking and me overeating and which of us is going to die first, you know? And he goes, well, when your number's up, your number is up. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're saying. That's why you want to be ready to face God. And he says to me, I'm ready to face God. I thought, well, this will be interesting, you know? And he says, I'm really, I'm ready to face God. I feel like I'm as good as the next guy. I'm like, uh-oh, you know? Here comes the works religion piece, right? And he says, I just feel like I'm a good guy, and he's a good guy. I'm a decent guy. I'm an honest guy. Nobody can say that I stole from him. I think my chances are pretty good. He would consider himself a Christian, but by that, by him describing that to me, it, it was obvious to me that he was clueless about what the Bible says about justification by grace through faith alone. Because nobody who understands that would ever talk about a merit program. 
Now, these people are all around us, and many of those people sit in pews and churches, some of these pews, this church, because we're spiritually blind, and even when we're taught the truth, we can't really hear it because we're, we're seeing it through lenses of confusion. But the Bible says if we're justified by faith, when we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. And, and there's five other things here. Now, what's interesting about this is that you're justified by faith, you have peace with God. That's what Romans 5 says. Paul's changing the use of the personal pronoun. You know, he starts out kind of you in Romans, right? He, he basically is saying, you are sinners, right? You are sinners. And, and, he, and he also kind of has a they in there, right? Those people, right? You kind of catch that in Romans. But now he kind of changes to we. And, you, and, the, and the structure of this message comes straight out of the text. It's kind of the three we statements, or the six we statements in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. They're the kind of we statements. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. He is stating that it's possible to have confidence and to know that you have eternal peace with God that cannot change. That's what the Bible teaches. Those who are justified by faith. We used to live in Ohio, and there was a beautiful area going north out of Mount Vernon, uh, Wesley, really close to where, right along where you were born. And, and we would drive out Route 3, and there was this gorgeous route that would go from Mount Vernon to a little place called Loudonville. And up along the Mohican River and the Mohican Memorial State Forest there. And it was just the most beautiful and pleasant way. There was a little village called Jellico. There was a little village called Amity. Amity. We would just drive through there, and it would just be like a vacation just to take that drive. The villages were so beautiful, and the, the, the countryside was so idyllic. It was just peaceful. It was on the way to the Amish country. We would often go up that way. And every once in a while, we'd never even make it to the Amish country because we would get stuck in Loudonville for a street fair or something. One day, I was driving that drive alone, and I went through the little village of Amity, and the sign, Amity, I thought, what is Amity it's a word we don't use anymore. It's a word that means friendship or peace. There's a village of peace there on State Route 3. God says when Jesus Christ, God's son, shed his blood for us, he made it possible for us to move to the village of amity with God. Place of peace. We have peace with God We're at peace with the king because the prince, his son, sacrificed his life for us. Here's the second thing. Wow, peace with God is amazing. Just to say, if you have peace with God, then it will help you have peace with other people. But but, but I'm just saying that if you have other areas that kind of infringe on your peace, like a health problem or a financial problem or a person that mistreats you, but yet ultimately you know that you have peace with God. There's an overriding great confidence, shalom, peace that comes over your life when you know you have peace with God. This Christians have and no one else has, knows that they have peace with God. That's wonderful. Second thing is we have access and standing in grace. Access and standing in grace. We don't think much of this, but none of us dare approach to a holy God. None of us could dare approach to a holy God. You know, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get to our president, right? You and I, we wouldn't even be able to get to our president to have a conversation with him. Am I right? We'd probably not be able to get to Rex Snyder, you know, right? We're going to be able to do that. You, you, wanna, you want Cabrera's autograph? You think that's going to be easy to get to him? No. Right? And you've got to work through my secretaries. I'm so important. 
I'm just kidding about that. You can have my number if you want it. But, but I'm just saying, you know, but, but God, it's not just like he's busy. He's perfectly holy and cannot stand and will not tolerate sin. We're sinners. How do we have access to God? And you know the answer to that. We have access through his son, and there's no greater access than that. Think about this. Civil war in Washington, D.C., and not far there's a civil war uh, prisoner of war camp, and a southern uh, soldier is, is injured, and he's been held in this Civil War camp. Now he's injured and he's going to have to limp home. He'll never be able to really help his widowed mother. He has a brother who's also in the in this the uh, prisoner of war camp. But he gets released. He decides instead of just trying to limp home, he's going to go to see President Lincoln and he's going to ask President Lincoln to please allow his brother to be released from prison because he's the only able-bodied male member of the family. He cannot get an audience with the, with the president. He can't get past the guards. Oh my goodness, he's a Confederate soldier. So what he does is he walks outside and there's a bench. He sits on the bench and he just begins to weep. And he feels a tiny hand on his knee after a while. The young man whose hand is on his knee is concerned. And he says, what's wrong, sir? And he says, I can't get to see the president. And I need to see the president because my brother needs to be released because my mother needs him. But the little boy's name was Tad Lincoln. He said, come with me. And walked directly into the presence of the president. And he received what he wanted. How beautiful is it to think that we have access to a perfect God who is unlimited in what he can do. Through his son, Jesus Christ. Who's going to turn us away when we can come on behalf of, of his son. That's what he did. He sent his son to die for us. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, which means his good giving, his giving. So we have access to his grace by Jesus Christ as well. And notice the next, next phrase, access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And what's the idea there? It's like permanent residence. It's like we're not spiritual squatters here. We're not spiritual sharecroppers here. We're spiritual landed gentry here. We have an inheritance. We don't, we're not borrowing. We're owning here. You understand? We have a permanent residence with God. I remember when my son Kyle was bivocational pastor, and he's working, blowing insulation, and he's half-time as a pastor, and my heart goes out to him, wanting him to be able to flourish and thrive, you know, and I go visit him at his apartment. I watch a football game one night, and they have an apartment. It's kind of in a lower level. It's a little cheaper down there. It's got one bedroom. It's very humble. Not a dangerous place, but not a nice place. Just humble, you know, over in South Bend. And I remember that we kind of kidded about it. I went in and we spent the evening and then Elizabeth was trying to be real hospitable, but it was such a tiny place. And, and then she said, well, I'm sorry, we don't have a place for you to sleep. I go, I love, I'll just curl up here on the floor. And, and, and she goes, I'm sorry, I don't have any breakfast for you, but I can make you some coffee. I'm like, that's no, that's no problem. And I wrote her a thank you note. I said, it was the best floor and coffee I ever had, you know, bed and breakfast, floor and coffee. And, and she said, well, you can come over for floor and coffee anytime. But I remember driving away that night and thinking to myself, you know, for my kids, longing, could you take care of them, God? Could you see to it that they do okay? 
could they have a place of their own someday? I just long for them to have a, a safe, secure, I want them to make it like you want your kids to make it right. And, and God's done that. He's been so kind to them. I say I have a pastor there in, in, uh, in, in Brighton now, and, and they're, they're, they're buying a beautiful home. But, but God doesn't leave us on his street like street people. He didn't leave us in a small apartment. He moves us to the palace of the king. And he establishes there because of his son, Jesus Christ. That's, what it is. That's why it says right here, whom we have access by his faith into his grace, in which we stand. In other words, we have a permanent residence there. Isn't that great? Does that thrill anybody here? Anybody getting excited about this? Good. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Second part of verse 2 there. In which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Think about it clearly just for a minute. What does it mean to rejoice in hope of the glory of God? Understand hope in the Bible. You know this. I've talked about it often. Hope in the Bible isn't the same as like hope the way we use it in the culture or hope the way we use it in our family. Hope in the Bible means a settled confidence in the promises of God. When I say Bible hope, I'm going, I'm I'm just confident, joyfully confident that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. How can I be so confident? Is it because I'm wonderful? No, it's because he's wonderful. Because he sent his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Therefore, we're justified by faith. And because we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. And because we're justified by faith, we have, stand, we have access to God's grace. And we have standing in God's grace. We get to God's grace, his goodness. And we live in God's grace. We don't look, we go, oh, I hope he's not going to kick us out. He's not going to kick us out. Because nothing's going to change. His son already died for us. We're not there because we're good. We're there because he's gracious and kind and good. And we recognize our need for him. And because of that, we are happy, joyful people who rejoice in the confidence that God's going to totally reveal himself someday, which is the glory of God. And in the end, think about this. Jesus appears in power and great glory he reveals it. Well, this is him. This is the one we sang about every Sunday. This is the one we prayed to every night. This is the one we loved and longed for. This is the one they made fun of at work. He's here in glory. Everybody can see him now. That's the thing we rejoice because we're going to see him in glory because we're justified by faith. That's awesome. And that's not only true about Jesus in glory, but the Bible says that we're going to be glorified as well. We're going to have Godness on us. There's going to be heaven in that time. And when you get to Romans chapter 8, you see the very creation itself is going to get retrofitted with glory and a whole thing. The glory of God is going to cover the whole earth like the waters cover the sea. In other words, everything's going to reveal God. Now that ought to make us rejoice. That's what this is saying in chapter 5, verse 2. We can be joyful people because of this. Those are three of the things. Those are pretty cool. Here's a fourth one. We rejoice even in our sufferings. And a word sufferings here is a special technical word that really refers to the kind of suffering that you go through because you are a believer and people are pushing back on you. Tom, you were saying about how you were just uh, at, the, at the border. I love border stories. Aren't they great? They're kind of like espionage. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. And uh, so you're telling that You should take those with you. They're definitely good stories. Yeah. And so, and he's saying that when he's at the border and he's trying to get through and they're giving him trouble, he's going, I like this because he was seeing that it served the providential purposes of God. That's exactly what's going on in this passage right here. How can a 
believer be joyful? How can a believer go through hard things and still kind of land on their feet? I see that every, I'm a pastor, I see it every day. How can that happen? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And because we are justified by faith. And our life is different than the folks who don't know him. We rejoice in suffering. There's, a, there's actually a process going on in verses 3 through 8. Here, here we go. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is being poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Now, there's a, then there's more there in the next verse, but let's stop right there just for a minute because this phrase is amazing. The Holy Spirit, the love of God is being poured out in our hearts. Lois, I don't know if you remember this, but in 1987, you and I went to a conference in the summertime together. You made yourself some pretty dresses, and your hair braided that night. We went to the conference, and it was a really, really happy time for us. We had these books, and when we started to leave, it started to rain. And it didn't start to rain a little bit. It started to, do you remember this? It started, I always hate it when I say that, and she's like, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was like, really, you were there. Um, and, and it started to rain. No, she wouldn't forget this. It started to seriously rain. And there was no way you could get to your car. The car was a long way away, and there was huge crowds of people. And, and, if, and, and I said, well, I'll run to the car, and then I'll come back. She goes, no, if you run to the car and try to come back, you're going to be in this traffic jam. We'll just go together. I remember that night you were pregnant with Heidi. You are quite pregnant with Heidi because she was born in September, and that was like July or something. We run together. I'm with this cute little pregnant girl, and we're running together in the rain. Yeah, it's raining like crazy. And by the time we got to the car, we were totally soaked. You ever hear the term soaked to the skin? You go home, you take that clothes, they're all so wet that you got to do special things to get that stuff dry. When I was studying this week and I was trying to get my head into the whole Greek thing about what does this kind of thing mean the Holy Spirit is poured out, the idea here is this total and continual and deep saturation and soaking of God's love. The deepest way to understand it, the love of God is poured out in our hearts. What's that saying? You know, we rejoice in suffering because the Holy Spirit's love is, is saturates our heart, just pours out into our hearts. That's what happens. That sounds exactly like what Jesus said in John chapter 7 when he said, those who believe in me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water because they have the Holy Spirit in them. Nobody has that unless they have the Lord. Unless you are justified by faith, when you go through trouble, you don't have the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God into you. But if you know the Lord, you're justified by faith, then whatever trouble you go through, the Holy Spirit is pouring out the love of God in you continually. You have this inner source of vitality that nobody else understands. I'm telling you, if I didn't have that, I want some of it. If that wasn't true about me, I would want it to be true, and I wouldn't wait till tomorrow. I would say, how does that happen? And we would tell you, today you can be saved, and you can know God, and the Holy Spirit can pour out his love in your heart. But there's more than just that, more of a feeling, which is a powerful feeling of God's love. Look there in verse 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's a great phrase. For the ungodly. Anybody qualify? Yeah. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went looking for ungodly sinners who knew they were ungodly sinners. He died for them, for me, for you, 
to reconcile us to God so we could live in amity with God, in peace with God forever and forever, in tranquil harmony, peace, and friendship with the God who made the entire universe and know that we're right with God and his favors are being poured into our lives, not just for now, but for eternity and someday in a place where we don't suffer under the effects of the curse and sin because we're justified by faith. So I would want to be justified by faith if I was not. I would want to know that I was justified by faith if I did not know that. I would want to think more about that, and I would want to see to it everybody I loved was justified by faith. We rejoice in a hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. Read a fascinating book by a Scotsman, McPhee. John McPhee, one of the greatest writers I've ever read. John McPhee, whatever he writes about is fascinating. He can write about anything. It's fascinating. And I read this sick this week, so I read a book by John McPhee. And it's called The Crofter and the Laird. It's about a little island in the, in the Scottish Hebrides. It tells a story about a laird, a lord, who had a black dog. And it was a big black dog, and the dog ate five times more than any other dog ever ate, but he didn't do anything. And all his friends said to him, kill the dog, he's worthless. He doesn't help you with your sheep, kill the dog, he's worthless. And he said, no, I'm not going to kill the dog. He'll have a purpose one day, I'm sure. I'm not going to kill my black dog. And then they would go hunting, and he would call to his dog. In front of all of his friends, this laird of the island, he could have anybody do whatever he wanted them to do. But his dog wouldn't obey him. And all his friends would finally say to him, kill the dog, it's worthless. He went out hunting again. The next day, he would call to his dog. The dog would just lie there. And they would say, get rid of the dog, kill the dog. And no, we're not going to do that. Finally, one strange day, he got ready to go on the hunt. And he looked over, almost without calling the dog. The dog got up, leapt into the boat, and went on the hunt with a Scotsman, and then that day their life was in jeopardy, and the dog leapt to his aid and saved his life. And the man said, and this is where the phrase comes, every dog will have his day. Every dog will have his day. And the black dog of suffering, God will use it for his providential and eternal purposes in your life. You can count on it. You can count on it. God will take the black dog of suffering that you don't see a purpose for now, and one day it will mean something to you. God is able to do that for those who are justified by faith. I'm so glad to say today that I know that I'm justified by faith. And how do we know? Because God, through the Holy Spirit, pours his love out continually. We have actual feelings of affection and love and joy in God. Right? You get that? And then also, because if that doesn't happen, I'm not having a good day, and my feelings aren't happening, or God chooses to be quiet, then I can go back to the Word and the history of redemption, and I can say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. He died for me, so if he lives me, he lives for me, right? If he died for me, he's living for me, am I right? If he died for if he died for you, he's living for you, right? He wouldn't die for you and then be against you when he's living. That's what Paul says right here. So he says it's basically kind of a matter of assurance. When you're struggling with assurance, then here's what we normally do to people. Say, you know, hey, how do you know you were saved? Well, I remember that I went forward in church. But the Bible never says that you're supposed to root your confidence in going forward in church. Ever, not one time. The Bible just doesn't say that. What does it say? It's interesting. It says that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit. That's the love of God being poured forth. He's, he's saying, I'll let you know in your heart, and your heart will tell you you're saved. That's one way. 
But the other way is, I'm going to give you a Bible, and you can you put your finger on a Bible verse any day of God's year, and you can say, by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There it is, right there. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's, it's Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. I can put my finger on the promise that Jesus died for me, and so my confidence is in the truth of God, which I have in my hand today. Do you understand that? That's how we're to have confidence in God. So when people tell you, I'm not sure that when I die, I'll go to heaven, they don't know their Bibles or they have rebelled against God. Most people haven't knowingly rebelled against God. They're like, oh, I hate God. And I, they just haven't sought him or they're confused or like my friend that I talked to in the coffee shop there, he's a good guy. You'd love him if you talked to him. And he thinks he's right, but he's dangerously wrong like most of the people that you know. And there you have it. We have peace with God. We have access and standing in grace. We have rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can even rejoice in suffering. There's more, and, and there's, there's only two more. And, and we can, we're saved from the wrath to come. When we're, when we're justified by faith, there's no more wrath to come for us. Danny was talking about taking a friend to eat and talking about his eschatology class, the, uh, the eschatology class about things to come, Right? And so he's describing things to come to his friend. His friend is afraid about the return of Christ. People who don't know God, if they have any sense, are afraid about the return of Christ. Because they think of that as the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. No, it isn't. But they think of the return of Christ as the end of the world, an apocalyptic doom, and they have a sense of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, a sense of the wrath of God. And they're not entirely wrong about that. Because anyone found outside of Christ will face the wrath of God. But here's what the Bible says there in verses 9 and 10. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So when we see him, we're not afraid, right? When a person who knows Jesus when he appears isn't like, oh, no. That's like when your daddy comes home from work. If you're afraid, it's because you've been being bad. Am I right about that? It was like when, you know, when your dad, if your dad's a benevolent, godly, good, loving daddy, and he comes home from work, you can't wait. You're watching the clock. You're always waiting. I will always watch the clock for my dad to come home. I never could wait for my dad to come home. Especially on Friday when he'd bring me a treat. It was payday. Yeah. Our Heavenly Father is sending his son, Jesus, the conquering Savior of the entire world, to come and gather his saints someday and to initiate eventually the eternal state where the glory of God will cover the earth like the, water of the waters cover the sea. And you and I don't need to fear that if we're justified by faith. That's what it's saying. And one more thing, and this is so sweet, it's simple. We rejoice in God. And the idea of rejoice there is often translated brag or boast in God. We boast in God. Our boast is in God. Our confidence is in God. Our joy is in God. Verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So can I ask you a question? Has any of this made your heart leap into eternal flame today? I hope so. Any of that water starting to melt into your, the valley of your life today? I hope so. Does it make you want to go and tell the world that Jesus is the way? 
Do you believe it? Is it changing you? Are you thrilled by it? Are you committed to being skilled at explaining it? Are you praying regularly that God will give you openings? There's a dynamic thing that happens when you pray for God to give you an open door. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm not skilled. I'm afraid. When I talk to somebody, you got loved ones that are going to go to hell someday, maybe soon, right? And you think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Will you pray for an open door? The Bible says that. Pray for an open door. Because when the door's open, it's not that hard to walk through it. If you're like beating the door down, it's tough. Am I right? Even for a seasoned missionary, right? But if you are, if you're just saying, God, okay, look, I'm just here. And I'll stumble through the gospel. Wes, what you were telling me last night, I don't know if you know how it thrilled me last night when you walked in and you go, here's how I explain the gospel. And he would just stand in the living room and go, this is, how, this is what I tell my friends. And he just, he went through the gospel. And my insides went, yes, yes. I would rather that my son or my daughter or you be able to explain the gospel in the simplest way than if you achieve so many more wonderful worldly things. That's what this church has got to be about. We don't know how much time we have left. And there are thousands of people all around us, and they're desperate, and they're, they're ignorant, and they're lost, and they're guilty, and they're full of shame, and they're going to face the judgment of God. And you and I have them in our own families, and they need the Lord. And some of them are going to get cancer this year, right? Some of them are going to go through the worst kinds of family things this year. This area is full of 20-something young people who are completely drifting from the living God. Completely drifting from the living God. And what we sit around you know, on our hands, trying to bicker about little stupid things. We ought to get over that and get out there and start talking to everybody we know about Jesus Christ and light this world up for Christ because we understand the truth of justification by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and sing about it, okay?